So, uh, would you take your Bible with me? And let me admit, as we turn to 1 Thess chapter 5, that I'm a little sad this morning uh, because we're coming to the end of this letter. And that sounds weird, but when we invest so much time in the study and going through a book, I feel like I've gained a real friend, even though Thessalonians is not a person, it's a city. I feel like I've gained a friend in the scriptures. And it's a little bit like, even though I'm not cutting it out of my Bible now that I've studied it, uh, it's like, man, we're finishing a long trip together. But we're not done. There is, I think this morning, a great word of encouragement that the Lord Jesus has for us as we take one last look at this book. And so I'm glad that you're here, genuinely glad that you're here with us this morning and glad that, that we get to declare a statement that we started saying every time before the message when we started chapter four in this journey. So it's been a lot of weeks, and so part of the sadness is that we started this for this series and excel still more, and so technically this should be our last time. Uh, um, maybe we'll pull it out every once in a while. I'm already fudging on that, but uh, for our last time, not as religious ritual, but as readiness to receive the word. So are you ready to receive God's word? Uh, I hope so. This is the disposition by which we come. Let's declare it together. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. So what we're gonna receive this morning is what he says at the end. We're gonna finish with how we've been finishing every service. So some of the sadness will be, this will be the last time we finish this way as well, unless we have a CFC classic moment or something like that. But here's what we have been declaring every week since we started chapter four. I have said to you at the end, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, how? Entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we've ended. Except you have declared to one another then verse 24, faithful is he who calls us and he also will bring it to pass. Now, why did he close that way? I believe he closed that way because he is reminding us in these two closing verses, what he has been intending to very specifically address to us verse after verse for chapter four and chapter five, which is this that as children of God, we are to be holy, holy, sanctified entirely. We're to be holy, holy. Verse 23, the God of peace himself sanctify you 
entirely. Now, when I say as children of God, what I mean by that is this. All people born are created in the image of God, but all are not children of God. In order to become a child of God, a person must recognize and admit their guilt before a holy God. And recognizing their guilt and need for a savior, believing that Jesus of Nazareth was the son of God who lived a life who never sinned, but gave his life in order to pay a debt that he didn't know, but that you and I owed for our sin. That in his death, he paid our penalty and that God raised him from the dead so that every person who is born might be born again. That they might become a new person having believed in Jesus. That's how you become a child of God. And so this morning, if you have in your past admitted your sin, believed in Jesus and received that as a free gift, you are a child of God and God intends to sanctify you, how much? Entirely. Here's the way the Apostle Peter says it. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Now, how holy? Entire, holy, holy, entirely holy. As holy as, as God himself is. Uh, it's easy to, to get into church language and go, sanctified entirely. That sounds churchy. Holy, that sounds like awesome and inspiring. But Jesus puts it in our language. In Matthew 5, he says, you're to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's fine. How perfect? Perfectly perfect. Holy, holy, sanctified entirely. That's what, that's what chapter four and chapter five has been about. As children of God, we're not to be better than most. God intends you to be perfect. What do you think about that? <laughs> you think... Uh, well, let's start with this. Do you agree that you are to be perfect? Twelve of you do. <laughs> do you agree that you are to be perfect? Okay, we, we got to start there. Yes. Paul said it to the Thessalonians. Peter said it in his letter. Jesus said you're to be perfect. Not mostly perfect, not your best version of perfect, but perfectly perfect, holy, holy, sanctified entirely. And if you're going, oh, well, I don't really know what that, that, that means. Here's how in 20 expressions in chapter four and chapter five, he define where to be perfect. Be perfect in sexual purity. Not better than most, perfect. Perfect in purity. Perfect in love. Do you love everybody? No, you love some people. You don't love everybody. You love, man, do you love those some people perfectly? No. You try, but you don't even love, you don't even love the people that you love perfectly. But we're supposed to be perfect. Holy, holy. 
He says, be perfect in sexual purity, love of others, working hard, in grieving and loss, in believing in death, in living in readiness, and in submission to authority, not just the ones we like. Perfect in living in peace, in admonishment, in encouragement, in patience, long fusedness, remember? In kindness, in joy at all times, and in prayer. Perfect in prayer, perfect in thanksgiving, perfect in being spirit-filled, never a spirit-unfilled moment. Perfect in receiving truth, perfect in examining truth, perfect in holding on to the good, and perfect in abstaining from every form of evil. Now, how do you feel about all that 20 stuff? You got to feel out of breath, don't you? If you're like, wow, why don't you just throw me in the deep end with like bowling balls tied around my ankle? And then go, have a nice swim. Doesn't it sometimes feel that way? Really, if, if you and I were to read the scriptures as they are easily understood, we would go, that's too much. And so we go, well, I'll try to be more loving. And we try to clean up our act a little bit. But in fact, the scripture is calling you and I, if we are children of God, to be holy, holy, perfect. Amen, you're dismissed. <laughs> oh, you're like, no, give me some help with that because I can't do that. So let me give you some great hope. Seriously, great hope. Becoming holy, holy is God's work. Amen. Hey, that's good news. This is God's work. Oh, sweet. He's going to do this. Yes. Becoming. Now, I'm not just trying to let you off the hook. This is exactly what we have, what I have said to you every time for weeks now at the end of the service. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. I don't know if you've heard that, but, but the hope is that it's God's responsibility to get you perfect. It's his work. Faithful is he who calls you, and he, he also will bring it to pass. It's his work. Is he good at his work? Yeah, he is doing it. God is making us holy, holy, in two ways. First, God has already, for children of God, I'm speaking, God has already made us holy through the work of Jesus on the cross. You know that? He has made you already holy. Though you don't always act like it, that you don't always look like it, and people don't always experience you that way. You are, if you have been born again, you have already been made, what? Holy. Yes, one of the greatest scriptures is this. He, the Father, made him, the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin. Why? On our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Where? How? In him. Watch. The glorious truth of the gospel is this. That if you will admit that you are not holy, that you are not perfect, but that he is, and you would believe in him, 
He promises that he'll take all that, that lack of holiness, all that ugliness, all that sinfulness, and he will take it out of the way. He'll forgive it. He'll wash it, having nailed it to the cross. Is that good news? Yeah, folks, you understand? Your sin, if you have trusted in Jesus, past, present, future is gone. Yeah, it's out of the way in Christ. That's phenomenal. And it's only half the gospel. The truth is this. You have not only been forgiven, but then when he takes your sin out of the way, he says, I'm going to replace it with my righteousness. That is the greatest exchange a person could ever make. I mean, think about it. Jesus, I'm guilty. I'm sinful. You know it. Everybody around me knows it. And I bring it to you. And he says, I'll take it. And I'll take it over here. And now I'm going to take my righteousness and I'm going to give it to you. Made holy. Whose work is it? It's God's work. And he has done it in Jesus through the work of the cross. Made you righteous. But he is also making us holy through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Now that might seem to be a contradiction of terms. If I am made holy, how, why do I need to be being made holy? <laughs> Here's why. Because you are declared righteous, you are made righteous. But righteousness doesn't always come out of that mouth, does it? And righteousness doesn't always get thought in this mind. And righteousness doesn't always come out these hands. I have been made righteous, but that righteousness needs to learn to work its way out into my life and into my relationships. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes we misapply the old saying, you can take a boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. My good friend, Mark Cars, you can take him out of Georgia, but you can't take Georgia out of that boy. And we kind of think, well, God can save a sinner, but he's still just a dirty, rotten sinner. You know what? Not true. God can save a sinner and turn a sinner into a saint. See, do you know that that's how the scripture refers to the people of God? To the saints at Thessalonica. To the saints at the chapel. And you're like, well, that's, I don't know who he's talking to, not me. Ah, if you've trusted in Christ, he has, he has changed who you are in order that you might learn to live that out. We've had it so wrong for so long. People tend to think about the Christian life as cleaning up the act. And the Christian life is about having been made clean to live out that new righteousness that has been placed in. That is so dramatically different for this reason. Cleaning up my act is my responsibility. Living out that righteousness is what he does. 
being holy, holy is God's work. Peter says this, seeing that his divine power has granted to us what? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. See, it's his work. It's his power that gives us what we need to then live who we have become, righteous. It's through the true knowledge, not that I know about Jesus, but the true knowledge of him. I know him personally, who called us by his own glory and excellence. You know what the scripture is saying there? Is that everything that God has called you to be and to do in holiness, he is. He's not the dad who goes, don't do what I do, do what I say. <laughs> he simply said, I made you like me. Be like I am. Be holy, holy. I, I am. He's called you by his own glory and excellence. Watch. For by these he has granted to us, to his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. See, the incredible promise is Jesus said, watch, this is the work of God. Jesus said, I'm going to give my life so that in my death your sin might be forgiven, that you might be made righteous. But... It's going to be to your advantage because then I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, God himself, another of like kind, if you remember that, if you were here, another of like kind, who not will be with you, but will be in you so that me in you will make you a partaker of the divine nature and me in you as a partaker of the divine nature. You will have everything you need to live out the righteousness that I have made you in my son. So are you as a child of God intended to be perfect? Yes or no? Yes. Whose job is it? God, it's his job. He is doing it. He has done it through the giving of his son to us who would believe in him. And he is doing it by pouring his spirit into our hearts. Is that clear? All right, let me make it muddy for you now. Now that it's clear, let me make it muddy for you. Becoming holy, holy requires our cooperation. Ah, you ruined it, Douglas. Does that ruin it? Now, if you listen. God can't make you holy without you. No, that's wrong. Sorry, got you on that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> God, he, if he can't do something, then he's not God anymore. Here's it. God won't make you holy apart from you. He could, but he doesn't. God doesn't do this work apart from us. Now, why do I say that? Because that's a strong statement. He says it's his work. Why do I say that? Well, we spent a month on it. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit that is in you, that is to make you who you have become, you can resist him. Some of you have a pet and you have taken that pet to a place it did not want to go with a leash and you drug it along and it was like, and just, you just, am I the only one that did this? You're like, maybe you're like, oh, you have cruel to eat animals. Oh, if I needed, a, you know, our dog was Hunter and it'd be like, it'd like lay down. And you're like, drag it. 
You do that to the Lord? Does he drug you anywhere? Uh Uh-huh. Don't quench the spirit. Don't resist him. So part of our cooperation is don't quench the spirit. Don't resist. Don't dig your heels in in what God is doing. It's his work to make you perfect. Go with it. Don't try and go another way. So if you don't quench the spirit, what are we to do with the spirit? Well, Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit. Say, I love this picture. Don't be this guy. Be this one. Scripture says two don't walk together unless they agree. So why don't you agree that the Spirit's the leader, the Spirit is setting the direction, and the Spirit's setting the pace, and the Spirit's setting the distance for how long we're going to walk in that direction. Not the one that's, we're going here, and then they're running off over there. Walk in the Spirit. Watch. I love this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Let me paraphrase that for you. Walk by the Spirit, and you will be holy, holy. Walk by the Spirit, and you will be perfect. Right? You see, this is why learning to walk in the Spirit is so essential because if you are walking in the Spirit, you are being holy. You cannot be walking in the Spirit and sinning at the same time. You can't. When I'm sinning, I'm not walking in the Spirit. And when I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not sinning. I am living out the righteousness that has lived in me in that moment when I walk in the Spirit. So don't resist him. Walk in the Spirit. Paul, in his own personal testimony, said it this way. Walk in the Spirit and live by faith. He declared first in Galatians 2.20 that he had been made righteous. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. So his death in my place. And it's no longer I who live. I've died with him. But Christ lives in me. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I have everything I need for life and godliness. How do I live that out? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So what's my part? Don't quench the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Live by faith and abide in Christ. That's the expression Jesus uses with his disciples in the upper room. Hours before he's arrested, arrested the night before he is crucified, he says to them, this picture, I'm the vine. He had already said, my dad's the vine dresser. He takes care of the vine because it's his work. I'm the vine, you If you're in me, you're the branches. If you abide in me, if you remain in me, as I will in you, because that one's 
an absolute certainty that I will remain in you. He bears much fruit. You'll be perfect. The fruit of the Spirit, fruit of love, joy, a fruit of patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you abide in Christ. So whose work is it? It is God. You see, you've already lost that one. I'm like, okay, I gotta collaborate. Whose work is it? It's God's work. My part is to walk in it, to live by faith and abide in Christ. But are these three different actions? Oh, I hope this will help you. No. These are three different expressions that speak to the same concept of how we live in relationship as children of God to the Spirit of God in us. We abide there. We live by faith there. We walk there. Meaning that whether I say walk in the Spirit or live by faith or abide in Christ, any of those three include first and foremost, admitting I can't in myself. You see, if when I read those 20 things, if you didn't go, then you, then you frankly just missed it. It ought to make you go, I'm out of breath thinking about it. I'm overwhelmed thinking about it. Every moment of every day living in that perfection, I just can't do that. But watch, don't miss this. That's the truth. The problem is we go, that's the truth, so I'll quit. Or that's the truth, so I'll just do my best. Instead of going, that's the truth, but it's not the only truth. There's a equal truth. And that is that all that I am weak and unable to do, he is fully sufficient. Be perfect in your love. And who is he? Love. And where is he? In you. Be perfect in your patience. And who is he? God is patient. And where is he? In you. It said, rejoice always. Give thanks in all things. Be at peace. Who is he? He is our peace. And where is he? In us. Don't miss this. Sometimes we think our weakness means we'll just quit. Or sometimes we think our weakness means we'll just do your best. Neither of those things. Our weakness to do, to be, who we've called to be, which is holy, holy, perfect. Our weakness is not an excuse for lowering the bar or just not trying anymore. Our weakness is to be the tutor that leads us to Christ, 
to our sufficiency, that he is all we need at every moment to love people that I don't love and to love people that I love continually. He is. Do you believe that? Do you believe you're weak? Yeah, just don't quit. We think, this is, this is the whole dichotomy. I hear all the time, I just can't do that. I'm just going to give up. Oh, whoa, stop. Admit your weakness. Just don't stop there. Take a next step and see the sufficiency of the one who dwells in you that has made you a partaker of the divine nature, who has given you all that you need for life and for godliness and believing in that. It's just not, okay, I believe it, I believe it. Then it is, a, okay, because I know I'm weak, but he is strong, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna step in obedience. So I'm gonna do what he says in the confidence that he'll do as he promised. This is abiding. This is a living by faith. This is walking in the spirit and recognizing my weakness, but believing his sufficiency. And therefore, because the second truth is even greater than the first truth, I'm going to obey. Perfectly pictured when the Israelites are on the east side of the Jordan River, outside of the land that God had called them into. And you know what, by the way, he said to them? He said, go to the land that I will give you. And years, 40 years earlier, they had said, we can't take it. We're too small. We're too weak. They're too big. We can't take it. We're chicken. And what did he say? Had he said, go take it. What did he say? I'll give it to you. You just got to like, Walk in. Isn't that funny? We think we need to do God's work. And it's his work. What is our cooperation? Believing what he said. Go, yeah, they are big and I'm little and I'm scared. But he said, walk in. So they get to the Jordan River and there's the land he's going to give them, but there's a river between them and what he's promised. And you and I would stand there and go, Lord, just make it stop and we'll do what you say. And he says, step in and I'll make it stop. Totally different. See, as long as I stand here and say, make it stop, Lord, make it stop, and I'll live by faith. Folks, that is not faith. Once it's stopped, it's dry land, not sight. That's like, oh, okay, I'll walk across the road. Thank you. The faith is going, I don't know how to do this. But you've said, and I will do what you say in confidence you'll do as you promised. Well, I don't feel thankful. I will give thanks when I'm thankful. How about give thanks and your heart will be lifted on the wings of praise. Totally different, folks. 
It's called the life of faith. It's called walking in the spirit. It's called abiding in Christ. It's admitting who I am, but not stopping there and living, doing my best. It's believing in his sufficiency. And the belief is in the evidence in, I'm scared, but I step. I feel inadequate, but I step. I know that he has said it. It doesn't make sense to me. How many times week after week have we declared his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding. I'll incline my heart to receive it so that I might excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving as he has loved me. You see it? So good. It's God's work. It requires my cooperation, which brings us to then this tension. What if you fail? What if you fail to cooperate? What if you get in a nose to nose with God? He goes, It's my work to make you perfect. It's my work to make you holy. It's my work to make you pure. It's my work to make you loving. And you go, not in that way. Then what? Well, what happens when we fail to cooperate? Does God go, well, I'm eternal. I'll wait you out. Because <laughs> he could. I mean, he could go, oh. You started a staring game with the wrong dude. <laughs> You'll blink. <laughs> what happens when we fail, when we refuse to cooperate? I love this. The scripture answers it. Faithful is he who calls you. He'll bring it to pass. Well, I'm not cooperating. He'll bring it to pass. Well, I'm not going to cooperate. He'll bring it to pass. I thought I needed to cooperate. His work. <laughs> and it's not optional. Really, it's not. It's what he said he was going to do. And he is, what verse 24 call him? Faithful. In other words, he does what he says he's going to do. So you can say, I won't cooperate, but he's going to go. It's not optional. You ever tell your kids as a parent to, to do something they said, oh, I'd really prefer not. And then you say what? I really wasn't asking. You misinterpreted that as a question. It really wasn't a question. This was a statement. He didn't say, hey, would you like to be sanctified entirely frost? Well, a little bit, not too much. He said, I'm going to sanctify you entirely. I'm going to make you holy, holy. I'm going to make you perfect. What if I don't want to cooperate? You misunderstood me. <laughs> it's not optional. Faithful, he will bring it to pass. God says, I am, Paul says to the Philippians, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, how did he begin it? By the work of Jesus on the cross, making you holy. He will perfect it. There it is. He's going to perfect it until the day of Christ. 
See, God is active, not passive. He's not going to wait you out. He will be active. And so if you go, well, you say you're going to and it's your work, but I'm not going to cooperate. You know what he does? God deals with you as with sons. This is good. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In other words, if you're a kid, you get discipline. You agree with that one? You remember when you were a kid? Was that true for you? Yeah. Well, we will regularly relate, uh, rate our kids top to bottom and who got disciplined the most. But everybody gets on the list. Some lots more than others. But every child gets discipline. Why? Hey, watch. They, speaking of earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. And that is hard because you're like, I don't know, is they're doing the right thing? Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm pushing them the wrong way. It's hard. We do what seemed best to us. But he, he disciplines us for our good. What he always, always knows how to best discipline us. For what goal? Holy, holy. Perfect. Listen. We usually think about discipline as God's going to get you for what you did. He's going to make you pay. Please hear. That's been paid in Jesus. When God disciplines you, he is not punishing you for your sin. That punishment has been paid on the cross. When God disciplines you, it's not about your past. It's about your holy future. Isn't that awesome? He is training you. To share in his righteousness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's not fun. It's painful. But it's good. And it's God saying, this is my work. And it requires your cooperation. And you can neither give it or I can get it. Isn't that funny? You can either give it or I can get it. But one way or another, I'm faithful. I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to make you holy, holy. That's amazing. I love this. Because I am absolutely confident that God's going to do what he said in my life. He's going to do what he said in your life. It may be because he's active and it's not optional. It may be that he will be reactive. And I say reactive in the sense that he disciplines those who are uncooperative. He will reactively discipline the uncooperative. And it may be in all sorts of ways. We used stand in the corner, we used restriction, we used extra work, we used the spanking spoon. All depended on the crime and the age. <laughs> Our kids didn't know a wooden spoon was a kitchen utensil until later in life. <laughs> They're like, why are you stirring the spaghetti with the spanking spoon? God may discipline you physically. God may discipline you financially. I punish you, train you towards righteousness. You see, 
He loves you. He couldn't love you more. It's already been declared on the cross. He is for you. And friends, his discipline is part of his faithfulness to you. Sometimes we think, oh man, they're really soft. They really love their kids. They're soft. They don't discipline them. That is not true. Love disciplines because it's how we share in his righteousness. It's how we become holy, holy. But it doesn't stop there. Scripture also says that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. So it's not a disobedient branch that's pruning. It's an obedient branch that he says, you're bearing fruit. You could bear more fruit. So he reactively disciplines the cooperative and he proactively prunes the cooperative. And sometimes this just bugs us because Pruning can feel a lot like discipline. It hurts and you go, God, make the people who uncooperative hurt, not me. I'm cooperating. I should get it easy. <laughs> but the reality is, some of us, no, strike that. None of us will be fruitful as God intends us to be apart from pruning. Some things that we wish didn't happen, and they're not because we were disobedient to the Lord. It's because he's growing our obedience, because he's growing us in our capacity to love. He's growing us in our capacity to forgive. It just hurts. Now, I had somebody tell me Thursday night, I don't know about this message, Doug. I mean, basically you're saying God's going to make us holy and it's going to hurt by pruning. It's going to hurt in discipline. Why don't I just discipline? <laughs> Why don't I just disobey if it's going to be hard either way? So hear me clearly. It will be hard. But man, you can make it harder. unnecessarily harder. When my son Will came up with the bright idea that he and a friend wanted to ride across the state of Florida on a bicycle in one day with no training, I thought, seriously? And he's like, yeah, this would be awesome. So he got up early one Saturday morning, he and a friend, another guy, and they went and put the back tire in the Atlantic Ocean and they decided today we're gonna ride across the state of Florida. Not the right equipment, no training whatsoever. Do you ride across the state of Florida in a single day on a bicycle and it not be hard? Huh? No. The, the thought of it makes me tired. Ride on a bicycle? That is hard. It, it, it's hard in the training to get yourself ready or it's hard in the not training and killing yourself for a day. Could you make it harder? Yeah, they, they took a wrong turn. 20 miles. That makes me mad in a car. Seriously. My God, oh, this is time I'm wasting. On a bicycle? On the day that you're riding across the state? 
Maybe we should try next week. <laughs> hey, they made the hard a lot harder. And some of you are making it extra hard in the wrong turns you're taking. He has said, I'm going to make you holy. And you're going, well, I'm a guy. No guy's really pure. So you're running down your impure, lustful path. And then you wonder why it's so hard. That's just the first one. So I go through all 20 of them. See, go back and look, all 20 of them. Anytime we step back away from purity or for loving or working or for being kind or for rejoicing in all things, for abstaining from every form of evil, anytime we shrink back from receiving the word, becoming hearers and not doers, anytime we do that, it's like I'm taking the hard path and I'm gonna go, let me go my own way. And in so doing, you make it so much harder. How many times have I myself looked back and go, what a fool. What a fool I have been to make it harder. Harder on me, harder on my spouse, harder on my kids. Hey, When you go, oh, I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to make you pay. You make it harder on you and you make it harder on everybody else with that bitter heart. Just pick it wherever path. Whose work is it? It's his work work. He's gonna do it. I love that. And he won't do it apart from your cooperation. You can give it or he can get it. But it's not optional. And I want us to walk out this morning going, Lord, I can't mess this up. Isn't that interesting? I got an email Friday morning from a gal who had been Thursday night. She said, I walked out Thursday night so encouraged, but I couldn't put my hand on why. And I woke up this morning and I realized it was because I can't mess this up. This is God's work. I can certainly make it harder, but I can't mess it up. It's his work. Do you know that the scripture says he is faithful even to the faithless? How about that? And he loves you. And he intends to make you perfect. And nobody gets the limousine ride across the state of Florida. Everybody's going to have a hard road. Don't make it harder. So if you are, Repent. Get back on 
the biblical path. And if it's hard, because it's hard, not disobedience, it's just hard, it's God pruning you, then consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, see, the testing of your faith, the growing of your faith, not your disobedience, the testing of your faith produces endurance. See, that's what God's doing in us. And let endure it have its perfect result so that you, say it with me, may be You didn't want to say that, did you? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You can't mess it up because it's his work and it's not optional. He's going to do it. So, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, you believe it? Amen. God bless.